Welcome to the Leadership Forum, making an impact through effective leadership. Your host is Bernard E. Robinson. Bernard and his guests foster in-depth discussions about leadership. You'll find this program a powerfully engaging platform for great conversations about leadership and leadership learning. Now, here is your host, Bernard Robinson. Good morning and welcome. I'm Bernard Robinson and this is the Leadership Forum. As we start our program this morning, please allow me to tell you a short story. It goes like this. A reporter asked a bank president, Sir, what is the secret of your success? The bank president answered two words. And sir, what are they? Good decisions. And how do you make good decisions? One word. And sir, what is that? Experience. And how do you get experience? Two words. And sir, what are they? Bad decisions. Now, I don't know the author of this, and it says unknown, but we're not here to share and talk about bad decisions. Uh, And the show is not about how to make bad decisions. But I like this little story because it reflects the fact that often the way you get to the good decisions is by making them. And sometimes those are bad decisions. If you think about it, even in life, we've made some decisions that didn't turn out quite well, but they've been quite instructive. They've been helpful in us making good decisions later on. So today's show, again, is not about how to make bad decisions. Rather, it is about providing you with a number of perspectives about problem solving and decision making and a number of frames of reference for understanding and approaching the process of problem solving and making good decisions based on that. Today's show is entitled, Good Decision Makers Get Hired, Poor Decision Makers Get Fired. As a leader, particularly at the very top of your organization, you don't get too many chances to make bad decisions. For this reason, it is incumbent for you and your livelihood and your longevity, quite frankly, as a leader, to get good at making good decisions. We want to explore and answer the following questions. What is a problem and how is it defined and should it be viewed? So, number two, what is the mindset that a leader should have when it comes to solving problems and making decisions? On what basis should I begin the decision-making process? Number four, what are the two basic approaches to problem solving? Number five, how true is it that leaders who make bad decisions lose their job and businesses that make bad decisions go out of business? I want to give you some, some, some examples, if you will, that really prove that point. Number six, when it comes to decision-making, what is the approach that leaders should take? This is really one of the takeaways you'll have for the morning. And number seven, where and how does judgment fit into the process of decision-making? I certainly want to talk about that because at the end of the day, whatever decision that you make, it's going to depend on your judgment. And the better your judgment, the better your decision, and the better your results. If you go to my book, you'll find additional information on good judgment and four things and four flags, if you will, to watch for, to guide you in making uh, good decisions and good judgments when you're attempting to make good decisions. What what is the problem? 
how what is a problem and how is it defined and should it be viewed? Well, it's a simple question with a more complicated answer. We all know problems and we can name them. We know what they are in our lives and in our work world. But what is a problem? Well, a problem is any barrier, any block that prevents a situation from being what it should be or could be or what is it what is desired to be by you. Again, a problem is a barrier or any block that prevents a situation from being what it should be or could be or what is desired to be by you. To make this come alive though, that's an easy statement to understand, perhaps very logical if you will. But to make this come alive for you, do this exercise with me. First, identify a problem at work or in your life even. What is a problem that you have been wrestling with, thinking about, considering, whether at work or in your own personal life? Now, when you get that in mind, simply name it, whatever you call it, whatever that problem is, the problem is, and you finish the statement. Now, draw a line and put the word actual next to it. So whatever that problem is, that's your actual. Now, in one sentence, describe what quote unquote should be happening now as it relates to the problem that you would you just identified or described. What is what is it that should be happening? Now the key words here should and actual, but whatever you've put in answer to what it should be, the problem is this. This is what should be happening. Whatever that answer is, it's really a matter of the should versus the actual. Because here's what I'd like to get you to do now. Draw a second line right below the first line and put the word actual on it. So what you have, if you have a, uh, you know, on your paper and you've done that, even mentally, if not uh, figuratively on a sheet of paper, you have a, a little picture that says should and actual. Now, if you will, in looking at the should and the actual, what you're describing is the difference in the existence of a problem. A problem really is just a separation, if you will, between what should be happening and what is actually happening. If your actual and should are not right in line with one another, then you've got a problem. And you've got a barrier, you've got a block, you've got a place that's not desired that you want it to be. And so a problem is really just the separation of the should from the actual, but it's always identified by you. The question would be, what is that problem to you and how do you go about figuring the answer out? That's the whole process of decision-making at the end of the day, problem-solving at the beginning of the day. Now, that's a simplistic answer, simplistic question. Let's dig a little deeper. What is the mindset that a leader should have when it comes to solving problems and making decisions? Well, I would say it this way. For the leader, problems are part of the life of every organization. And quite frankly, it is the leader who is often asked, expected, and anticipated will manage and give us answers for the problems that we have. They're really a part of the life of every leader. Said simply, 
a leader can't have a life as a leader without problems. That is to say, it's almost impossible to work as a leader and not have some problems because they're a part of what he or she has been hired or assigned to do. It's in fact what they get paid to do, which is to solve problems. Now, said differently, if you are a leader in the organizational and operational sandbox that you live in does not have problems, you're either deceiving yourself or being deceived by others or in a state of denial that could be fateful for you and your organization. The truth is, there are always problems and there are always a need of a good solving solution method and a good decision. The good news is, problems are really the opportunities and they really allow the leader to make his or her mark, to leave his or her mark on the organization or the situation that, they, that they've experienced or find themselves leading. They're also the opportunities that allow you to grow and or be able to perform at the top of your game. I guess a way of saying it is that you really can't grow without the stretching of problems and the stretching that problems uh, provide. However, the truth is a leader doesn't get too many chances to make bad decisions. So as these problems come and the solutions are needed, it's incumbent upon the leader to get good at making decisions. So as a leader, the two things I would, or actually three things I'd suggest you do. Number one, as a leader, as we look at this particular question, how should you look at it? Embrace problem solving as a part of your role and responsibility as a leader. Secondly, be prepared for problems to come and be prepared to step up and handle them skillfully. One admonition I'd give, one statement I would make is as you see problems coming, get good at, and this is the third point, get good at anticipating problems and proactively managing them if you can, if you can see them coming. It's almost like if you're in class and you see something go on and you know it's coming, get prepared for it. We've all been in class where we've known something's not going to go well here. Either the teacher's going to have a problem with a student or whatever the case may be as I try to capture that picture. If you can, you get proactive and try to head off the problem before it comes. The fact is, no one really likes problems. But again, for the leader, there's no option. You cannot, you can't avoid, I should say it this way, problems are unavoidable. The third piece is, and the third question is, on what basis should I begin the decision-making process? Now, that doesn't sound and flow as, as simply as I'd like it to, but simply said, there are always a host of factors that are often involved in every decision. And this is really multiplied when the decision is one that is complicated or complex because there are a lot of different pieces to it. Of all the factors that need to be considered and that influence business decision-making, these three items seem to always be in the mix. And these are the three items I want to talk about with you. One is the consideration of risk and uncertainty. Let me say it this way. When you have a problem in front of you and it's coming, one of the things that one would want to do is to take stock of the consideration of risk and uncertainty. There are some problems that are pretty simplistic. There are others that are much more complex. 
And so as you begin to look at the problem, even as we described it earlier, that separation between should and actual, the issue really is, what's the risk and what's the uncertainty that I have to respond to, be aware of, in addressing that problem? Number two, what are the people issues? In, in the world of work, in the world of leading and solving problems, the whole deal is almost every issue has a people part of it. So what's the people part? What's the people issue? Number three, access to information. And each of these we want to kind of dig into a little bit more. So when you're thinking about on what basis should I begin the decision-making process, you would want to look at all of the factors, but these three items always come in the mix of what you should consider. Risk and uncertainty, people and access to information. Let's talk about risk and uncertainty. In business and in leadership, the leader must continually be tuned into and must make an assessment of the risk involved in making his or her decision about the problem to be solved. That is because depending on the risk factors, the success, the consequences, the desire that you have to solve it will be affected. Among the questions that the leader should ask are, what are the main sources of vulnerability and variability that will influence or affect the success of your decision or the decision that you need to make? The second item, the second consideration on this risk and uncertainty is what are the facts that uh, you need to know to make a good decision that uh, you don't know now? Facts, if you will, sources of vulnerability and variability, those are the first two. The third one is, how does or will my decision impact our business, our business interests, and how likely is it that it will occur? So it's kind of, it's like a triangle, if you will. Vulnerability and variability on one end, facts on another side, and this whole notion of interest and impact on the bottom. Leaders often have less direct control over the occurrence of many business risks. However, they do have control over preparation for and response to whatever developments occur and whatever developments might impact the decisions that they're going to make and that they need to make. The assessment of risk is a subjective place. It really helps a lot if one has had experience because the more experience, again, the bad decisions, one has a much broader subjective uh, platform or campus to draw on from experience that allow them to understand what those risk factors might really mean because they're all subjective. Thus, when you have the, 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 the need to make a decision, every leader must consider, again, risk and uncertainty from their personal perspective, as well as the data and tools that are available to help them make a good decision. If you've been around longer, you're going to probably have more experiences and you'll have a different way of making the decision. It doesn't mean your decision will be absolutely right or on point or perfect, I should say, but it will allow you to kind of approach it in a good systematic way. People issues, uh, the, the second item I mentioned, there's no way that we'll make decisions. Every decision we will make affects somebody. And 
uh, are more of interest to some people than others. Thus, every decision has a social component. In fact, people issues cover a broad range of the whole social and psychological uh, platform or uh, considerations when you're making decisions, and they have a great influence on the decisions that you make. You should always be looking at not only what the decision is, but how will that decision affect the people. Stated in a different way and perhaps more succinctly, it is unwise to overlook people issues when making a decision because they are normally unavoidably a part of every decision that the leader makes. People are always in the mix because leadership, again, is simply about people almost to to say there's a period that can be put after that because leadership is about people. Social considerations involved uh, involved in decision-making can involve some of these kinds of attributes that are somewhat personal, Competit- competitiveness and commitment. Your attitude towards risk and growth. Some folks are much more assertive and much more uh, confident, if you will, and they have a, mu- a much higher threshold for risk. They have a much different way of looking at the risk. For an entrepreneur, a guy who's like in the world that I lived in and live in as a consultant, we tend to have a notion that you can and you will need to in order to grow to take a, a risk, but you try to do it as prudently as you can as you're making decisions. So there's some considerations you want to make that are personal. The notion of commitment and competitiveness personally and from a business perspective, your attitude towards risk and growth, and you want to be kind of conscious of kind of being aligned with your peers. You want to stand out. You don't want to stand behind, but you may not want to stand too far forward as well. The reality is that if we make decisions for our people and our organization, not everyone will feel the same way about what we think is, quote unquote, the right decision. And that's always going to be the case. It should be even expected. However, one of the key tasks of the leader in decision making is considering how do I, how do we help the people feel differently or feel what we feel about the decision that we are going to suggest is the best decision that uh, was made? This is an important consideration in the decision-making process because followers' attitudes about decisions and a degree to which they think it meets their needs or the needs of the organization affect the feelings that they have about how well they're going to invest in executing that decision. And it's crucial because for the leader, one needs to understand how they can engage commitment, not necessarily just by themselves, but to the other folks who need to carry out that decision with them. So commitment to your thoughts, your leadership, and your influence is part and partial, if you will, of the considerations that you'll make under the people issue that you should consider in thinking about decision-making. Now, I want to just make a, a, a global statement. Managing people issues may also involve engaging advisors and others who might be involved and or impacted by the decisions. Sometimes it's not just you and your people who have to be influenced. Often it's you and colleagues and others who are going to be affected by and impacted by that decision. Among the questions that a leader should ask are, who are the stakeholders who will most 
who will be most involved in and affected by the decision that I will make? Number two, what are their opinions, if known, about the decisions I will make? If it's important and you don't know their opinions, of course, the simplistic way is to just simply ask them. Uh, it's, it's, it's something that is, is almost elementary, but probably good to say anyway. If you don't know, again, ask. The third piece was access to information. Now, finding and analyzing the right information won't necessarily reduce the complexity, but it will raise the, the, um, the clarity. So finding and analyzing the right information won't necessarily reduce the complexity, but it will raise the clarity of thought that can be brought to the process of making good decisions. When we fail to consider or rationally consider risks, uh, simple and complicated decisions can become even more complex because unnecessary and uncertainty uh, is introduced. Unnecessarily, uncertainty is introduced. The best practitioners reduce uncertainty and unwanted risks through thorough analysis of the information that's available. Now, I want to kind of stop for a second and just ask you to kind of let me review with you what I've just kind of followed through and spoke to pretty broadly here. Again, we started out with the question, on what basis should I begin the decision-making process? To try to tie that all together and sum it up, you should consider the risk and uncertainty You should consider the people and the people issues, and you should consider access to information. Just as I visit back again on the access of information, which will help us close this particular question and certainly kind of make sure it's clear to everyone, there is a, a difference between too much and not enough information and analysis. Some of us have heard of the statement, uh, paralysis by analysis where you just kind of go on overboard and you got all the analysis done, but it's more analysis than you really need. Uh, This line changes based on experience and intelligence uh, that is available about the problem that's being confronted. If a person who has great skill and knowledge about a given problem looks at it, they're going to need less information and perhaps less analysis, always doing the analysis, but a person who's never seen this problem before, never experienced what's involved in solving it, they're going to need to take much more time to both analyze and consider because they don't have the depth of experience, perhaps, if you will, less or so intelligence to understand what this problem is and how to best uh, solve it and make decisions based on it. The challenge for the leader, though, is to determine what information is needed and determine at what point more information is not needed and no longer necessary. Also, it's important to note that you and I, uh, each of us, has something called intuition. I don't want to leave intuition out because often you can use your intuition and see something coming. It may not look rational, but it's just your feeling that this is what's going on. So it's important to to recognize your intuition, and it's also valuable, it's a valuable asset when there's some uncertain elements uh, in complex decisions that you have to make. Regardless of what information is available, 
A critical function for every leader is making decisions about and solving problems. And that is asking the right questions. I would say it this way. One of the biggest tools, one of the best tools for every leader, not just around solving problems, is being able to ask good questions. I often say it this way. You ask green questions, you get green answers. So the leader's job, if you will, is to figure out, based on the situation that's being solved or worked on, what's the right question that should be asked? It's almost like a funnel. You ask all the questions that you think make sense to ask until you can funnel and filter to the very best questions. And sometimes you can come up with the very right question and the best question after doing that. So you ask all the questions. Now, the fourth question that we put forth was, what are the two basic approaches to problem solving? And this is an easy answer. And the first is rational. The second is creative. And that's where you begin to have different. There are two basic approaches, rational versus creative. And there are two basic frameworks, conversion and diversion. I won't say much about those. But simply stated, usually the problem-solving process really involves a rational approach, but most people prefer, which is where you have a, a step process, five, six steps, nine steps, whatever. And they allow you to get into the logic of understanding what the problem is, understanding why the should and the actual don't actually uh, meet with one another. And once that's done, what you do logically is say, okay, what, are we, what can we do creatively to respond to this very rational approach that we took to understand why the should and the actual are separated? And that's a whole nother discussion about creative problem solving. So that's, those are the two approaches that one takes as they're proceeding to make good decisions. And the, the, the different frames of reference are, are not probably as helpful to dive into right now. I asked a question earlier, and the question was, as we introduced the questions that we would cover, how true is it that leaders who make bad decisions lose their job, and that businesses that make bad decisions go out of business? Now, I hope I'm not stepping on anyone's toes, but most of us remember or recall what was called the Bridgegate issue with Governor Chris Christie, uh, the governor of New Jersey. It happened some time ago, but it's recently been in the news again. Most of us recall or may recall that Christie said at the time that he had no knowledge of this uh, of the planning, if you will, the execution or anything of, about it. Uh, and he first found out about it, that is Bridgegate, after it was over. That's what he said. On January 9th, 2014, uh, this was his response, or that was his response, when he was asked by a reporter at a press conference what he knew and to address the allegations that had been made that members of his staff and officials of his administration had decided to close lanes on the George Washington Bridge. Of course, one of the business, busiest thoroughfares, as we understand it, and had done so for political reasons. Now, while the story had unfolded with greater clarity by the time everybody uh, really understood what had happened and when folks began to get charged, the point is, 
And the point that I'd like to make without at all besmirging uh, Governor Christie is simply this. And, and that is every decision has consequences. So as a decision maker, as a leader, it is crucial that you think about the consequences even as you make the decision because every decision you make has consequences. And you want to do that because sometimes, of course, after you've made the decision, you don't any longer own, in many cases, or have control over, maybe that's a better way of saying it, the consequences. And make, uh, we're about to take a break, so I want to have you hang on and don't uh, go anywhere. We'll see you on the other side of the break and want to pick up on this discussion of this whole notion of decisions that are bad making folks lose their job and businesses go out of business. See you after the break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. Higher education faces lots of changes. If you are a student, educator, or in the workforce, you'll want to tune into Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Your host, Dave Goldberg, and his guests will explore the innovations that higher education adopts as it reinvents itself. The world of higher education is constantly changing. Stay on top and stay ahead of the rest. Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Leadership Forum. Making an impact through effective leadership. To reach host Bernard E. Robinson or his guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you would rather send an email, you may send it to leadershipforum at ihdinc.org. Now, back to the Leadership Forum. If you've just joined us, again, you've, uh, you're, with the leader, you're in the leadership forum, and thank you so much for 
uh, staying tuned in. I, I was saying before the break that uh, every decision has consequences, and we were referencing the situation that uh, Governor Christie was involved in with this Bridgegate. And, and I simply wanted to make the point, as I was beginning to after before the break, that every decision that one makes, every decision that every leader makes, uh, every decider makes, must realize that in the final analysis, they should be as discerning and as thoughtful about considering the consequences uh, as they are in the choices and decisions that they make. This is even more important in dealing with problems that are complicated and complex. If you fail to take time to do that and do that analysis, uh, you may be failing to make a good decision. Every leader needs to be quite aware uh, that while they have the choice to decide, again, they don't always have the choice to uh, choose the consequences that come from that. We're seeing that uh, even as we look at the public sector right now. If the decision is faulty, they may not be in a position to control the leader, that is, the consequences. Now, an example, it's fair, I should say, uh, of a good decision is also proper as well. Let me read uh, you, I want to read something I had here that is, is uh, uh, a note from uh, some notes I had, and it's about Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was often criticized when he launched the Apple iPod and iTunes and the iPhone and the whole progression of products. But the products have been hugely successful, as everybody knows, uh, and as everybody perhaps is carrying them in their pockets, in pocketbooks. They were reported at this time, this was a couple of years ago, to do $12 billion, that is Apple, in revenues on the line of, on the line of products that they put on the market. One of the things that was curious and interesting as I read about it, about Steve Jobs and his process and the products that he was putting out on the marketplace, is what analysts observed was that the decisions that he made were well thought out. In fact, his process wasn't at all haphazard. It was very, um, very thorough. He made sure that every product that was put out on the market was unique. And he thought through all of the details. It's, it's, it's thought to be the number one on the list of those who study decision-making on the list of good decisions for the 2000 decade, in fact, from 2000 to 2010. His decision-making was essentially uh, applauded as an example of good decision-making. So the question I raise as I say that is apparently what he did was to think of all the kinds of elements that we've spoken about earlier in terms of what one should think about in terms of making a good decision. There's one other decision that's probably very useful as well to, to look at as a, as a notion of making good decisions and the impact when one does not. Most of us, when we were children, at least those in my age bracket, grew up with Kodak cameras. And there, there was really almost in no family where there wasn't at least one, perhaps more than one, Kodak camera. And they had different styles and different kinds. Well, they had 
for years been a Fortune 500 company. In fact, they've been a Fortune 500 company for 58 years. And they had peak fortune performance for 1989, 1990, 1992. And they had revenues at one point in 1992 of $20.6 billion. The unfortunate truth is Later on after that point, they went bankrupt. Eastman Kodak, Kodak camera, all of the different styles. What happened, if I can give the story quickly, Eastman, Eastman Kodak developed the digital camera in 1975, the very digital camera that we all have now and can use even in our telephones but Eastman Kodak developed the digital, cam- digital camera in 1975. However, they did not invest in the technology. The reason that they did not invest in the technology was for fear that it would undercut sales of its film business. Kodak executives did not foresee the eventual decline of film and the fact that film would at one point or at some point no longer be what is most used in uh, the industry and what people would most want to use. Only when film's popularity began to wane in the mid-1990s in favor of digital photography did the company push into the digital market. Again, this is 1975 they created it. 1992, they had $20.6 billion in, in revenue. So essentially they were among the top people in the filming business and the camera business. But the competitors noticed and took note of this digital technology. And Fuji and Sony entered the market faster, and Kodak was never able to fully capitalize on the product that they actually invented. By 2001, the company was in second place to Sony in the digital camera market. But it had lost $60 on every camera it sold. So it was losing money while Sony was making money. By 2010, it ranked sixth in the digital camera space. Now, not only had it dropped to three, but it dropped down to six. Other folks as well began to get into digital camera space, which it began at, a, a, a downturn, uh, they began uh, to lose, Eastman Kodak did, shares. The shares peaked in 1997 at $94 per share. Proof that it often takes a number of years for poor decisions to destroy huge corporations. By 2010, the stock had dropped to $0.65 cents from $94 to $0.65 cent per share. And the company filed for bankruptcy in December of that year. Kodak always was one of the Fortune 500 companies. And they might not even have seen it coming, but they did not even make the list in 2013. They were really, again, bankrupt. And now you don't find Kodak being publicized or even purchased what you see is Sony, perhaps Fuji, and other folks who have taken the digital market and Eastern Kodak who developed the technology 
is out of business. That's a case of really poor decision-making that allowed poor decisions to, in fact, uh, destroy the capacity for a business to be in business. Now, I have other examples that are equally uh, interesting and, in, and instructional and dynamic in my book, again, which I've probably mentioned a, a time or two, The Skills of an Effective Leader, uh, which you can find online uh, and even at uh, our, our site on Voice America. Now, when it comes to decision-making, the other question that I had asked, or at least referenced, is what is the approach that a leader should take? How should a leader approach the decision-making process? Not only the things that we've already mentioned in terms of thinking about what you should consider in solving problems, as we begin to think about the decision-making side of the coin, what is the approach that a leader should take? I call this segment Thinking Like a Leader. And I also combine it with my thought from earlier about asking the right questions in order to make good decisions. The first and foremost part of decision-making is being clear about what the decision is. It is very useful to turn the decision into a question. For example, you may want to expand the business. The question, the range of questions relating to this goal even for a simplistic decision, it is important for the leader to ask the right questions. Why is it we want to uh, move and expand our business? What will our business do for the customers that we currently have? And how will it affect our, our place in the marketplace? What is it that we need to know in the way of information before we make that decision? Asking the right question enables the leader to surface the need for information that might not have been thought useful in ensuring that the necessary information is made available. I would say it too as well, for you as a leader, if you have the responsibility to make a decision, this is where you ask others who can give you a perspective that you might not have uh, just by yourself. Asking the right questions starts the process of analyzing or allowing you to analyze the information that you receive and making good judgments about what the information means. That's a skill that requires the ability of the leader to analyze the data and choose and consider its impact on the decision that they should make and would need to make. Again, there's always this connection between choice and consequence. Dealing with complex decisions and decision-making is always made easier by asking, again, the right questions and analyzing the information that's available. Let me, let me share with you the four steps, though, because this will be more specifically helpful to you. And I'll say it this way. After you've done all of the steps uh, in, in getting to the decision, you, you'll see how much sense it, it makes. It's a four-step process that I call thinking like a leader. When it comes to decision-making, again, there probably are other methods. There's probably no absolute best method, but I kind of like this one and suggest it will be helpful to you. Um, but I have observed and, and been involved in the process. I have found that even as I teach it to other leaders, there is and there should be a process that it allows you to get to the place where you are making your final decision. And it should allow you to feel that you've been due diligent enough 
and you've done all of the thinking that you think is helpful that could allow you to make, quote unquote, the right decision. So let me just share the steps of the process because I think it's a helpful process for you in making good decisions. Use and follow these steps with me, if you will. Step one, understand the issues and think about the consequences. What I mean by that is examine and evaluate what I call the context. Every problem comes with a context, every decision as well. So understand the issue and think about the consequences. Examine the context and make sure that you have a sense of what is it that I'm really trying to decide and what is it that I really need to come to uh, determinations about. That's step one, understand the issue or issues and think about the consequences. It's the old Stephen Covey thing, think about and consider the end at the beginning. He says it a little smoother, but that's the end. Think about and, and think about what you're doing at the beginning with the end in mind. Step two, ask the leadership questions, and there are several of them. That's step two. Actually, there are three of them, and these are they. What do I need to do now? Uh, that's a significant and important first question that the leader should ask himself. What, based on the decision I have to make, the problem that we're trying to solve, what do I need to do now? What this does, it initiates a process where you determine what and which problem-solving approaches and tools are most needed. It allows you to do a selection, if you will, of what else do I need to do in order to make sure that this decision I'm going to make. I would say it this way. Now, I certainly have not studied Steve Jobs enough, but my sense is once he had kind of come to a place that he loved the iPhone that he had created, his thought process had to do with what goes next. That's what's meant by what do I need to do now. The second question that the leader should ask him or herself is do I have all the information I need to make the decision that I need to make? Do I have all the information I need to make the decision that I need to make? If time provides, uh, if time allows you, consider what the right sources are to get the information you need if you don't already have it. Once you get the information that you need, understand it thoroughly and prepare to make, quote-unquote, the best choice that you can from the information that you have. Again, striving for the best, probably never getting to the perfect. The third question that you should ask yourself as a leader is to ask yourself, what will be the impacts or consequences of my decision? I would say all of these, all three of these are very important but this one is actually crucial. It's almost getting back to number one. Again, the consequences. Think those through. When it's a very complex situation, sometimes because of the operational need, you might paint scenarios. When you're doing strategic planning, as we've done, we actually create these scenarios or ask the client, uh, guide the client in creating these scenarios of possibilities, of consequences. So you can look at and make decisions about that decision and making the right decision for every 
issue that you're working on. Step three. Step three, structure a picture, a vision, if you will, of the answer to the question, what is the right thing to do? The question is, what is the right thing to do? Structure a vision or a picture of the answer to that question. It's almost the, 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 the change mind process. Where do I want and need to be in the future? Where do we need to be in the future and want to be in the future? And what do I or we need to do to get where we want to go from or with this decision? So you're thinking about uh, what's going to look like? What is this decision going to look like? And you do that by actually doing a look back or a look present and look forward. And you want to create a holistic view of the possibilities. Decide, again, at this stage and this step, what is the right thing to do? That's your goal. You're trying to get to that question. You're trying to get to the answer to that question. So what is the right thing to do? That, that's, that's the issue. The final question is, and the final step is, lead the process. Once you've done all of the work of thinking like a leader, once you've done the work of understanding the issue and thinking about the consequences, asking the leadership question, the questions, thinking about and thinking and looking and thinking forward about this picture of the answer to the question when it's really alive and there. It's not there yet, but it's your mind is painting that picture as you decide what is the right thing to do and come to that decision. Once you've made that decision, you decided what the right thing is to do, then you got to lead. Lead the process of executing and creating the desired change and meeting the goal that you've envisioned for the choices you've made and the results you want to achieve. As you look at the thinking like a leader process, my question to you is, what is your answer to the question? Uh, what is the way in which you would answer the question that you have painted for yourself as you looked at the problem that you were solving? Now, I stated earlier that there are always a matter of judgments that have to be made, regardless of all that you go through. When you get to step three, you got to make a judgment. you got to make a decision. So the question was simply, what judgments and factors are needed in making sound decisions? Uh, I stated it a little differently as well. What is the role in judgment of judgments in making sure that you've made a good decision? Now, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever said to yourself, how in the world could someone make a decision like that? What were they thinking? If we've ever said that, or something like it to ourselves, if we were making a statement that is questioning the person's judgment of a decision that we're looking at and judging, it's the same phenomenon for us. While we've spoken about the mechanics involved in making good decisions, it's important to take a moment to talk about judgment. Judgment is kind of an encapsulation of all the data, all the facts, all the processes, and all the other elements that go into the decision-making process. Judging is the process of linking the many factors, all of the disparate factors, 
into uh, making a decision, some holistic way of looking at how do I make this decision. Well, judging is that process of linking all of these different factors in attempting to interconnect them in a way that allows you to make sense and assist you in making the right choices and the right decisions. Judgments are really kind of the the, the end point of the decision-making process. They not only capture your experience, they capture the knowledge and intelligence that you gain. They also get to a personal place where you talk about your preferences. And they also subtly really begin to shape and play into your biases, some known and some unknown. Um, one guy, Joe Smith, a management consultant, said, our education and work environments are an analysis uh, that are rich and have become synthesis poor. That is, synthesis is what happens when, it's like synergy, happens when after absorbing a subject, there's a leap in thinking that one can't quite explain. That's what happens with judgment. It's almost like I've got all of this information and now I understand what to do with it. Where you've weighed the risks, you've got a sense of all the information you understand the uncertainty, you understand the people piece, and you're attempting to come to the best quality of decision that you can possibly make. But judgments are essential, and they are an essential part of the work of every effective leader. In fact, in his book, Judgment, How Winning Leaders Make Great Calls, by Warren Bennett and Noel Tishy, they propose that making judgments calls especially about people, strategy, and crisis is the essential job of the leader. That's, that's an interesting thought, and I quite agree. They go on to say that good judgments uh, and little else, uh, without good judgment, nothing else matters. So as we begin to come to a close on this discussion, there's probably much more that we could talk about and much more that we should talk about. But if you will, let me wind up with this particular thought. Increasing the quality of your decision-making involves your having an awareness of what is involved in all of these different elements and being able to make a decision that makes sense. Um, we have about 30 minutes. I simply want to say to you that beginning this month, I'd like to invite you to send me a, a note about what you're reading. You can send it to Leadership Forum at isdinc.org. Uh, you certainly can send it to the station. As a listener, as we come towards a close, I'd like you to consider this question. How can you personally apply what you've thought and heard on, heard on today's program to become a more effective leader? And what questions do you have? I'd like to thank you for listening and being a part of the Leadership Forum. I'd like to also invite you to make someone's life better through the quality of your leadership this week. I'm Bernard Robinson. I'd like to see you next week. Tune in again. But in the meantime, have an outstanding day and an even better week. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Forum, making an impact through effective leadership. Be sure to join Bernard E. Robinson for another edition of the program next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We wish you an outstanding week.